0: Okay, good morning. Right, let's fly down. Listen, are we going to do the syllabus today? too? Do it. The syllabus? No? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Good morning. Um, well, first of all, uh, sorry for being a bit late. I was totally convinced that our lecture was from 1 to 3. I don't know why. And also tomorrow, Ruben. We clarified that, okay? So tomorrow we're gonna be here at 10. Uh, We are gonna be talking about immune system, immunology. and This is a very important topic these days. We've been a couple of years involved in this immunology situation that everybody's tired of. And hopefully you learn a lot, no? Learning about this uh, will help you to be able to select information. Okay, in the past, the problem we had in medicine was lack of information. Now it's excess information. So we need to make sure that we select the proper sources when we need a response for anything. And every time we have a, a question about immunology, the best thing is to look at books of immunology or what immunologists have to say. Okay, I've heard people talking, for example, on social media, and they are doctors, they are MDs, uh, about COVID, about vaccines, about this, and it's uh, surprising, okay, the information they give that is uh, probably, for example, a kid with basic uh, general education, high school level, is able to answer in a different way. Like, for example, that they are modifying the human, human genome with the vaccines. And do they know that the RNA is not incorporated in the human genome? Okay. There are viruses that do that. For example, HIV and retroviruses. They have RNA, but they also have an enzyme that is called reverse transcriptase that is able to translate in reverse the, or transcript transcribing reverse the RNA into DNA. And then they have another enzyme that is the integrase that takes that viral DNA now and incorporates it into our DNA. But the COVID doesn't have these enzymes and vaccines don't have these enzymes. So if someone tells you that they are modifying our genome and you actually studied in high school, you know that that is not possible. Okay, so this is... uh, one of the basic things that we need to start understanding huh, how the immune system works, how our cells work. And these vaccines, RNA vaccines, simply they use RNA that our ribosomes uh, translate to form the viral proteins, the spike proteins, and this RNA simply is degraded after uh, it's used. Okay, and the advantage is that we, s- we develop lots of uh, memory cells. Okay, just in case we get exposed to the real virus. Okay, so that is just one of the things that... Uh, and, and the person I heard saying this is, a, is an obstetrician, probably is a great obstetrician, but probably either forgot what she learned about other things, or maybe has obscure uh, motivations, okay, uh, behind what she's uh, propagating there. So we're gonna be talking uh, today mostly about the physiology of the immune system, the normal part, that is necessary to later understand the diseases. When when we move to diseases, we are gonna divide the diseases into uh, what happens when there is an exaggerated immune response, hypersensitivity, autoimmunity reactions, and what happens when the immune system is down. Okay, there are some immunodeficiencies, some of them are acquired, like HIV, AIDS, for example. But there are some primary immune deficiencies, so uh, mutations that uh, impair the functioning of the T cells, the B cells, they may impair the cellular immunity, the humoral immunity, or both. But it's important to first start uh, remembering how they work, okay, how the immune system works. So immunity uh, comes from a Latin word, immunitas, that was applied to people who were free from civil obligations. They didn't have to pay taxes. They didn't have to, to do anything. Okay, in the medical field is uh, when someone is protected against infections, either uh, because they got the infection and they have enough antibodies, or uh, due to a vaccine. Okay, there are infections that, for example, we make a lot of antibodies, but these antibodies are not protective. That's the case of HIV. The person who is infected with HIV will have a high titer of antibodies against HIV, but these are not protective at all. Because HIV is constantly mutating inside the the same body. Okay, every time HIV infects a cell, and the cell produces new viruses, all these viruses are, are totally different. Many of them are useless, but some of them are infective, but the antibodies that we developed against the original virus don't work to neutralize the new virus that just uh, appeared. So there have to be antibodies and they have to be protected. Okay, and that's one of the reasons also, uh, remember COVID is a new virus, and we know almost anything about that virus, so, Some people recommend, okay, you should have a titre of antibodies or a titration of antibodies to see if you are protected. Well, I will have a number. If I do that test, I will have a number, but I don't know if that number is actually protective or if those antibodies are actually protecting against a new infection. So it's, it's difficult when we don't have research. In science, we have to wait for data, okay, to have enough numbers in order to at least tell people what they should do. So immunity, there are uh, several divisions, several classifications of the immune response. Uh, Divisions, remember, are good to study. Okay, so we organize our mind when we are studying, but they don't actually exist in the body. All of this immune response works in concert. All of these things work together. Okay, we divide the immune system into innate and adaptive immune responses. Both of these immune responses uh, have a number of cells and proteins that have different names. For example, the antibodies are proteins, the cytokines are proteins. And a very important network of communication. Okay, the cytokines, interleukins, etc., they have to bind to receptors. There have to be certain specificity for this uh, cell-to-cell communication to occur, for this signaling process to occur. And for example, the innate response, which is the most important one, okay, is the one that prevents the infection, that doesn't let the infection uh, to progress, tries to contain the infection, uh, depends on many genetic factors and also physiologic factors. Okay, the skin, for example, which is one of the most important barriers, Uh, the integrity of the skin that depends on genetic factors and also on the health status of the skin. The same for the mucous membranes. There are many uh, discoveries that appear day to day in immunology. And some diseases that we call functional diseases, like for example, uh, inflammatory uh, irritable bowel syndrome or interstitial cystitis, Uh, Now we are discovering that they are not so functional, that there is actually a cause. For example, in interstitial cystitis, they have discovered that uh, the patients tend to have a problem with the integrity of the mucous membrane of the urinary bladder. So there is a constant filtration of urine into the layers of the uh, the connective tissue layers of the bladder that produces a chronic irritation. Okay, if you do a biopsy, you don't see anything. Okay, uh, but there is a problem with the integrity. There is separation between the cells. The junctions between the cells don't uh, work very well. So every day we discover many things and that is important to know. I was listening some uh, days ago to a podcast and there was a uh, an immunologist talking about COVID. He's a professor, has been many years teaching immunology in a medical school, and he was saying, every time I, I read a new research about COVID, I learn new things about uh, immunology. For example, they have discovered that epithelial cells on the lungs, when they are infected by the COVID virus, they start expressing proteins that normally are expressed by proteins Uh, 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 by cells of the, by neutrophils, for example, or other myeloid cells. So these are things that every day appear new, uh, new facts, new different things that we didn't know in the past. Okay, so this innate response is, as I said uh, before, the most important. Okay, and the main objective is to contain infection and reduce the workload of the adaptive immune response. Every time a B cell or a plasma cell is activated to produce antibodies, that cell is going to produce antibodies like 2,000 molecules per second. Okay, so imagine all the resources that the adaptive immune system has to use in order to work. If If we had to start making antibodies against everything all the time, okay, our life wouldn't be possible. Okay, so we need to reduce the workload of the adaptive immune system simply by trying to contain the infection at the level of the skin, the mucous membranes, or simply isolating the pathogens. Okay, that's why we have granuloma formation, that's why we have the abscess formation, or other mechanisms that contain the infection locally and try that the infection doesn't spread. Okay, so we are gonna be seeing the differences between these responses Okay, the innate response is gonna be more or less the same all the time. It's consistent, it's unspecific, it's limited simply to identify when there is a pathogen or something that is threatening our body, okay? Clear the infection if possible, contain it, and if necessary, mobilize the adaptive immune system. Okay, the characteristics or the, the main effects of the innate immune system are inflammation, fever, phagocytosis, and also the secretion of many proteins, cytokines, that will allow the communication between the cells, the activation of what we call the complement proteins that will also enhance the the inflammatory response, activating a local inflammatory response and sometimes a systemic response. Okay, if necessary. So the functions are simply to protect the body, okay, against uh, different organisms, foreign organisms, pathogens, or toxins that these organisms produce. And for this it has to distinguish what is uh, or what belongs to our body, okay, versus what doesn't belong. Distinguishing self from non-self, material and also to prevent damage that is produced by endogenous factors. For example, cells that become abnormal, cancer cells, or cells that are damaged by trauma (laughs) by ultraviolet radiation, cells that have mutations, or cells that are infected by a virus. Okay, that's why I was uh, creating this diagram here. There is a slide that appears in this presentation that I have to add to the one uh, that you have that contains this information. Okay, but this is a a, a very basic way of uh, understanding the different responses that our body has for different types of pathogens or different types of um, uh, threats that our body may have. For example, let's take a look at this one here at this part here. Uh, Infections or any kind of damage to the body may appear because of exogenous factors, for example, bacteria that infect the body, that normally bacteria tend to be extracellular uh, pathogens, or may appear because of endogenous problems of the body. A cell may become a cancer cell or have mutations or have damage to the different uh, parts of the cell membrane or proteins. Or simply the cell can become infected by a virus and the cell may start acting abnormally. And we have different mechanisms. For example, here we have a cell that is infected by a virus. This could be a cancer cell. This could be a cell that became abnormal because of radiation or anything, or trauma. Okay, the proteins that normally the cells produce, okay, generally are processed in what we call the Proteasome that breaks down proteins in little pieces. Okay, these proteins are uh, producing the endoplasmic reticulum, they are modified in the Golgi. Okay, viral proteins are broken down in the proteasome. But any of these proteins is gonna be expressed by the cells, is gonna be showed in the membrane in a molecule that we call major histocompatibility complex type one. Okay, this molecule is present in every nucleated cell of the body. Okay, so in every cell except the red blood cells. They are like showing what they are doing. This is my protein. This is the protein that I produce, insulin or glucagon or different other proteins. Normally, the CD8 cells, the CD8 lymphocytes, cytotoxic cells, are the ones who are going to Uh, recognize any protein that is presented in this MHC molecule. Okay, there is an interaction between these cytotoxic cells and the MHC1 of every cell of the body. If everything is fine, nothing is gonna happen. If this is a beta cell of the pancreas and it's showing their insulin, nothing is gonna happen. Okay, that's normal for our body. But if there is any abnormal protein, this cytotoxic cell is gonna start a process of destroying that cell. Okay, that's why we call them cytotoxic cells. So imagine that this is a cell that is infected by a virus and is presenting a viral protein there. This T cell, this uh, cytotoxic T cell that was activated previously to recognize that antigen, okay, is the one that is gonna be or have the task of destroying that cell, okay? Some viruses develop the capacity of making the cells not to produce the MHC1, so they are not showing anything outside. In this case, the cytotoxic cell is not gonna be able to do anything there, but we have another mechanism. If there is a cell that doesn't have MHC1, that is gonna be destroyed by, destroyed by the natural killer cells. Okay, it's like the police. They are looking for MHC-1. If you don't have it, you are going to be destroyed. Okay, so we have different mechanisms just in case something is abnormal. Now, what about here? Here we have uh, the mechanism that works when there are extracellular pathogens or exogenous factors. In that case, a bacteria, for example, is going to be engulfed okay, by different phagocytic cells, can be neutrophils, can be dendritic cells, can be macrophages, and these type of cells, for example, macrophages and dendritic cells, are cells that we call antigen-presenting cells, okay, or APCs, because that is their job. They are uh, more accurately called professional antigen-presenting cells. Why professionals? Because every cell presents antigens. But these are specialized, okay, in taking exogenous pathogens, like bacteria, for example, phagocytosing them, destroying them in the lysosomes, and then presenting the antigens in another molecule, that is called the MHC2, that is only Present in these professional anti presenting cells. Notice that the MHC two molecule normally makes interaction with the C D4 cell, not with the C D eight. C D eight normally is with the MHC one and MHC two with the C D four. Okay, what will happen after this? That's what we are gonna be learning. Okay, just to simply for you to simply have an idea of how we start the process of creating the immune response, depending on the type of damage, exogenous, endogenous. Now, there is a, a concept here that is important also, and it's the concept of epitope. Okay, Epitope is a simple molecule. It can be three to four amino acids, three to four sugars, depending on what is the pathogen. That is the little piece of the pathogen that we normally present in these MHC molecules. We know that an antigen is anything that is capable of creating an immune response in the body. A virus, a bacterial cell wall, the RNA of a virus, different lipopolysaccharides in bacteria, components of the cell wall of the bacteria, may behave as antigens. But just, there is a little piece that is the one that we are gonna present to the T-cells, that is what we call the epitope. Okay, because you are gonna hear or or read that word a lot of times. For example, in the case of the COVID, the spike protein is an antigen. It's a huge protein. Okay, so maybe there are three, four amino acids that are the ones that are simply presented to the T-cells Okay, from that huge protein, those little or that little piece is what we call the epitope. And that is important to understand, for example, uh, how m- mutations may affect the capacity of the immune system to recognize antigens. Let's say the spike protein of the COVID is 100 amino acids, but the epitope is four amino acids. If the mutation occurs in, every, in other parts of the spike protein, but not in the epitope, we are gonna still recognize a future infection with COVID. But if there are mutations in the, in the epitope that our cells recognize and present, that's when vaccines become ineffective okay, against that infection. So you may hear, no, oh, the virus has 60 mutations. Well, maybe none of them is in the epitope, so that's okay. Now, there is one mutation in the epitope, that's a problem, okay? So we have, again, these innate defenses and adaptive defenses. The adaptive ones are the, uh, the ones that specifically recognize a pathogen. Can okay, we activate the immune system against a specific uh, bacteria or virus and will respond only to that specific infection. Okay, these adaptive defenses, then we are gonna study are divided into antibody and cell mediated. And basically, we need these two because antibodies, antibodies will find uh, or will fight anything that is extracellular. Okay, will block, will neutralize viruses, will neutralize toxins, neutralize bacteria. Okay, for example, an antibody that binds to the spike protein of COVID is not going to let this virus to bind to the AC2 receptor in our cells, neutralizing the virus. Now, antibodies are proteins, so they cannot enter inside the cells, okay? If a cell has a bacteria inside, for example, tuberculosis, or if a cell has viruses inside, antibodies cannot enter there, okay? When a cell is infected or has become cancer, we need the interaction of that cell with another cell So that cell destroys the infected cell. That's why we call it cell-mediated immunity, because there has to be a direct contact between the cells of the immune system and the cell that has become infected. Okay, so there are uh, differences. For example, the innate defenses don't develop any kind of memory of infections, okay, while the adaptive defenses develop memory Okay, besides the specificity against a previously encountered antigen. And this is a division, okay, this is the organization of the immune system. Notice that we have a primary lymphoid tissues or organs and secondary ones. Okay, I like, for example, to remember exactly what belongs into the primary and secondary, I always like to compare the primary organs or tissues of the lymphoid system. I like to compare them to a school, okay, where we learn what we have to do. And the secondary are more like a job where we work and we apply what we learned in school. Okay, The primary lymphoid tissues are the places where the cells of the immune system learn are prepared to fight infections or, or anything that is abnormal. For example, the bone marrow is where the B cells develop. They learn how to fight, how to make antibodies, and against what. Okay, but not only the B cells, also all of these uh, white blood cells, for example, basophils, mast cells, eosinophils, neutrophils, monocytes that become macrophages later, the dendritic cells. Okay, they are prepared there for their function. Okay, there is a specific type of lymphocyte that is going to be sent to the thymus. And there, this uh, lymphocyte is going to be prepared, okay, to defend the body, and that is the T cell. That is easy to remember, the T and thymus, the B and B of bone marrow. Okay, here they learn to differentiate self from non-self and they learn how to react when they encounter an antigen, an epitope. They they learn how to talk to other cells, what cytokines they have to produce. And once they are ready, once we are sure, for example, that a T-cell is able to differentiate self from non-self, and also we are sure that it won't attack our tissues, that cell is gonna be sent to the secondary lymphoid tissues which are the lymph nodes, the spleen, tongue cells, all the lymphoid tissues of the body. Some of them are encapsulated, like the spleen and the lymph nodes. Some of them don't have a capsule, tongue seals, for example, and the mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue, Peyer's patches and all the lymphoid tissue that we have in the mucous membranes. Another division or another classification of the immune response or the immunity okay, is to divide it into natural and artificial. Uh, natural immunity is anything that we acquire, um, for example, as an, uh, as an infection. We start making antibodies against something because we got the infection, or we simply may get the antibodies, passively through the placenta or through the breast milk in a natural way. Artificial is anything that is man-created. Okay? Uh, for example, passive artificial immunity is when we transfer antibodies okay, from one person to another or simply artificially created antibodies or can be achieved actively through immunization. Notice that only the active immunity is long lasting. We receive antibodies from our mother in the uterus, and they protect us for, protect us for six months. Okay? After that age, the maternal antibodies have gone, and if we don't make our own antibodies, we are going to have none. Okay? We are going to study these examples of this when we study the immune deficiencies. Okay, the same thing happens with the artificial immunity. Okay, let's say someone doesn't have antibodies against COVID, they get the infection, they may receive monoclonal antibodies that will protect the person for a while, but these antibodies in a while, in a couple of weeks, are gonna be gone. They are very expensive, monoclonal antibodies have lots of secondary effects, and in two weeks, the person is uh, unprotected exactly as they were before the infection. Unfortunately, there are some people who don't make antibodies even if they are vaccinated. Say people who are receiving immunosuppressive therapy. I know people uh, who have received kidney transplant. They are receiving immunosuppressive therapy. They got the vaccine against COVID and they have zero antibodies. Okay, So the only uh, solution for them would be if they get the infection, receive monoclonal antibodies, but in two or three weeks they are gonna be exactly as they were before. Now, another important thing to know about the normal immune response is the difference between the primary and the secondary immune response. Okay, notice here we have a a, a graph that is showing Uh, an example of a person who may have been, uh, who has been exposed to two antigens, antigen A and antigen B. Okay, the first exposure to antigen A, notice that produces a weak and slow uh, response, antibody response. Okay, this is uh, representing weeks after the exposure. Okay, at the week six, they have no antibodies there. They only develop a level of 10, according to this graph, arbitrary units. Okay, then they are exposed to two antigens, the A and the B together. Notice the difference in the response to the antigen A. Very fast and very high level of antibodies. Okay, important to notice that this is a logarithmic scale. This is, there is no linear relationship, but exponential so it's not three, ta- uh, three times higher. It's in arbitrary units, it jumps from 10 to 1,000. Okay, that is the secondary immune response. Okay, that is the, the, the response that, for example, we may develop after a second shot or after a boost of an infection, or, or, of a vaccine, or if we get the infection after being vaccinated. Of course, this depends on many things, okay? For, uh, for us to develop this strong immune response, we need to have developed enough memory cells, okay? Against that specific pathogen. And this is something that may be impaired in some people. For example, people who have AIDS, okay? Why we develop memory against an infection? Because these T cells, these CD4 T cells, when they get activated, they start producing interleukins, okay? So we make antibodies, but also, so we develop memory cells against that infection. So if we don't have a good number of CD4 cells, we are not gonna develop any kind of memory against any infection. So everything will depend on how the body is, health status. Now we have a description here about the different Components of the immune system, what is uh, first line of defense, what is the second line of defense? These two lines belong to the innate defenses. Notice that the external defenses, or first line, are mainly in the skin and mucous membranes of the digestive tract, respiratory, genito urinary tract. Okay, skin and mucous membranes uh, are a barrier, very, very, very effective a physical barrier. Skin is more effective even than the, than the mucous membranes with the keratin, with the many layers of the skin. The normal flora is a very important component of this barrier. Okay, any pathogen has to fight against bacteria, against fungi, against viruses that live in our skin. Okay, there are also secretions that have a flushing effect, sweat, the urine, saliva, all of the fluids of the body. These secretions have antibodies that we uh, produce, this type of antibody. We're gonna be talking about antibodies later, but they are of the type IgA. Secretory IgA. And uh, probably you have heard that, for example, the people who have more immunity against covid are those who got who are fully vaccinated and also got an infection okay maybe symptomatic or not okay and this simply is because when you vaccinate a person you receive the vaccine and the boost, etc we develop memory cells we develop antibodies that are protective but typically we don't develop a very high number of iga unless we are exposed to the infection through the mucous membranes. Okay, so someone who has received the vaccines and also gets in contact, let's say someone is sneezing and they get in contact with the virus in the mucous membranes, in the nasopharynx, now they are going to be stimulated to produce a higher level of IgA in the mucous suppression so they have even more protection than people who only got vaccines. Let's mm-hmm. say somebody's immunosuppressed, I and like you said, wouldn't a vaccine hurt the person? No. It's not gonna have any effect. That, that's about not having any effect, but it's not gonna do anything else. Okay. So in the digestive tract, it's not only what we mentioned, also the acid of the stomach, the digestive enzymes, in the case of the respiratory tract, we also have the movement of the cilia, the mucus, mucociliary elevator, the macrophages in the alveoli. And in the uh, genitourinary tract, the pH of the urine, the flushing action, the pH of the vagina, for example, and the normal flora that is present in all these places. Now, what about the internal defenses, second line of defense? We are gonna be talking later about phagocytic cells Okay, phagocytosis, destruction of bacteria, or anything that is abnormal. Okay, very important, the interference. Okay, in the, in the viral, in the response against viruses. What determines, what makes a difference between people having a mild or a severe COVID infection is the interferon response. Okay, some people have a very strong interferon response and they stop the virus from spreading. Some people have a weak interferon response, and they are gonna have a a more severe infection. There are other differences. For example, the number of ACE2 receptors that are present in the cells of the nasopharynx and in the lungs. Kids have very low number of ACE2 receptors. That's why they normally get a mild infection, and you you don't see many cases of kids having a severe COVID infection. The older we get, the more ACE2 receptors we have in the nasopharynx and also in the lungs. Okay, so that gives more uh, capacity to the virus to spread, okay, and to infect a different number of cells. Now, interferons are very important in fighting viruses, okay, and when we want to fight bacteria, what we have that is very similar to interferons is the complement system. Complement pathways are very similar action okay, in augmenting okay, amplification of the immune response against bacteria. And also we have the pyrogens as part of the internal defenses, different substances, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin one, six, that normally are produced by inflammatory cells, and they okay, produce a fever, okay, trying to create the conditions. So bacteria don't divide, and bacteria don't get what they need in order to uh, survive. We're gonna be talking about cells, and it's important to know specifically what the inflammatory cells do, where they come from, what is their role in the inflammatory response. Normally we have in the different tissues, mostly in the connective tissues, cells that are what we call resident cells that do an immunological surveillance, making sure that everything is fine. It's fine. For example, macrophages, dendritic cells, mast cells are normally present in our uh, connective tissues. Macrophages specifically come from the monocytes. Monocytes are circulating. And if they are activated, they are gonna move to the tissues, okay? They typically participate in antigen processing and presentation, okay? And also secrete mediators, okay, to initiate different uh, immune responses depending on the pathogen. Macrophages are also very important in the lymph nodes. Okay, when they are activated, when they recognize the presence of a pathogen, they release cytokines, for example, tumor necrosis factor, interleukin one and six. These are the pyrogens, we're gonna produce fever. Okay, they can be activated by different pathogens or by antibodies or by the complement proteins. Okay, later on we're gonna be integrating all these facts. Then we have the dendritic cells. Uh, The dendritic cells and the Langerhans cells are not exactly the same, but they are similar, very similar. These are also resident in the tissues, but they have a different role, okay? Macrophages detect some, that something is wrong and they initiate the immune response, but they stay there, okay? Like monitoring that the immune response and inflammatory response occurs properly. The dendritic cells, when they detect the pathogen and they engulf the pathogen, they are gonna move, they are gonna leave the tissues, okay? Following the lymphatic vessels And they are going to transport these antigens to the lymph nodes to present the antigens in the form of epitopes to the T cells in the lymph nodes. So they are the ones who go and activate other cells in the regional lymphoid tissues. These are very important, highly efficient, professional presenting cells. And then we have the natural killer cells that we already mentioned briefly, briefly. Okay, they are lymphocytes, but they don't belong to the adaptive or specific immune response. They are innate lymphocytes, that they are simply doing um, immunological surveillance. Okay, just looking for the presence of the MHC1 molecule. Okay, the presence of MHC1 is like a break. Stops the natural killer cells from doing anything. When there are low numbers or absence of MHC1 molecules, that cell is gonna be destroyed. Okay, destroy not only virus-infected cells, also cancers or other abnormalities. Another resident cell is the mast cell. When they are activated, they release histamine. Histamine is a very powerful vasodilator. Okay, they, uh, these cells, the ones that are responsible, for example, for allergic reactions, okay, asthma, on the skin, redness, the urticaria hives, bronchoconstriction, excessive mucus secretion in the case of asthma, and also have an important role in promoting the adaptive immunity and the inflammatory response. Then we have other cells, uh, neutrophils. Normally, we don't find any neutrophil in the tissues unless there is an infection, Neutrophils are circulating in the blood and only will move from the blood to different tissues if there is an infection. Once they enter the sites of infection, they will release different chemicals, antibacterial, antifungals, and also help recruiting other immune cells. These uh, neutrophils are the the most abundant of all the leukocytes. Then we have other two that are not so abundant, basophils and eosinophils. Okay, they also may migrate to the tissues. For example, basophils are important to defend against parasites, also release histamine, and participate also in the allergic response. We're going to be studying the hypersensitivity in the next lecture. And the eosinophils typically release uh, different chemicals. Okay, that have also antibacterial and antiparasitic properties. Everything in excess, the release of these enzymes will of course cause tissue damage. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. thought it was um you know, are more uh with oh. parasites and like allergic response for the both we're gonna be seeing these there are different stages in the allergic response. Okay, so we have, will be elevated, uh, uh, typically basophils are not elevated, they are more at the local level, at the tissue level, not, not in the blood. In the blood we have more eosinophils. Okay? okay. I'm talking I'm saying about the local response. And they migrate to the tissues. So here we have the main components of a normal immune response. Okay, and we are entering into the Physiology, physiology part. Okay, first of all, we have to recognize that there is a pathogen or anything abnormal. That is gonna be done generally by the resident cells in the different tissues, or can be done in the blood, of course, if the, if the, if the pathogen is in the blood. This is gonna be done by cells of the innate immune system. Okay, they are gonna release cytokines, they are gonna activate the complement important against bacteria, and they are gonna engulf the antigens. After this step, okay, there is gonna be an acute inflammatory response, trying to contain the infection. Okay, then we have the antigen presentation process. This is what is occurring here. Okay, remember what happens at the local level, resident cells fight the infection locally, but the dendritic cells are gonna move to the lymph nodes So there is gonna be antigen presentation and activation of specific T-helper cells. It's the ones that we call CD4 T-helper cells. Okay, these cells will coordinate. These are the most important at the level of the specific or adaptive immune response. They coordinate a targeted antigen specific immune response that may involve the humoral and the cell mediated immunity and generally both of them. Okay, the humoral immunity is gonna be performed by the B cells, activated, become plasma cells and produce antibodies, and the cell mediated is gonna be performed by the cytotoxic T cells. Okay, so this helper cell, okay, received a dendritic cell, recognized the epitope specific for this cell, okay, that helper T cell is gonna activate the CD8 the CD8 is gonna move away from the lymph node to the site of infection, and it's gonna localize the cells that are infected by a virus or having intracellular parasites, or, for example, uh, tuberculosis or any intracellular bacteria, and it's gonna destroy that cell. Okay, at the same time, the CD4 is gonna activate B cells. B cells are gonna become plasma cells are gonna start making antibodies like crazy. Okay, that will go to the tissues, to the fluids, blood, lymph, extracellular fluids, in order to neutralize any extracellular pathogen, okay, before it enters the cells, trying to contain or prevent the spread of any infection. So, how the activation occurs? Well, these macrophages, dendritic the cells, okay, these phagocytic cells typically have. Receptors there are different types. That we call them a pattern, oh, sorry, pathogen pattern recognition receptors. One example of them, the best known is the toll-like receptor. Okay, I like I like the the word toll has nothing to do with our tolls that we pay. It's other name, but I like the word toll because I mind that this. Receptors recognize bacteria as the toll, recognizes our car and charges us every time we pass in the expressway. Okay, they recognize patterns. These patterns, there are two types. One of these types is the pathogen associated molecular pattern, and the other is the damage associated molecular pattern. Pathogen for pathogens and damage for ourselves every time one of our cells is destroyed, trauma or just because it was destroyed, okay, the components of our cells are gonna be exposed and that is gonna be recognized by macrophages that are gonna clean the place. Okay? And hopefully they do that very quickly. Because, for example, every time we have skin damage, say we are playing sports or, any ki- or have a burn or any kind of injury, if the macrophages don't clean very quickly, and don't engulf very quickly, the, cells de- the cell debris, okay, that will give time to other cells of the immune system to take care of that, and for example, uh, take pieces of the DNA to the lymph nodes, so our cells start making antibodies against DNA, and you know what that means, anti-nuclear antibodies, okay, when these cellular components are exposed for longer time than normally. So these cells recognize different patterns okay, of different types of infections, intracellular or extracellular. Okay, and once the recognition occurs, okay, these cells are gonna be activated when the pattern recognition receptor is exposed to this pathogen or damage associated patterns There is a gene inside the cells, macrophages dendritic cells, that is gonna be activated, okay? This is the nuclear factor kappa something that is gonna be activated. Once we activate this gene, the cell starts making tumor necrosis factor, starts making interleukin-1 and interleukin-6. That is the signal for the cell to start making pro-inflammatory cytokines. And they are also going to perform phagocytosis, okay? You have here the purpose of phagocytosis, okay? Presenting epitopes in the MHC2 to the T cells. But There are many different cells that produce phagocytosis, not only the professional antigen presenting cells, the neutrophils too, which are the most important phagocytic cells, first responders cells that die immediately after fighting an infection. Then we have the mononuclear phagocytic system. These are the monocytes in the blood, macrophages in the tissues, that receive a special name that is histiocyte. And then we have other macrophages that will receive different names depending on what tissue they are located normally. For example, in the liver, the macrophages are called Cells. in the lung alveolar macrophages, in the brain they are called microglia, and in the bone they are called osteoclasts. But they are exactly the same type of cell. Okay, sometimes you have a macrophage that has only one nucleus, but sometimes you have many macrophages together forming a huge cell with many nuclei. Like, for example, the osteoclast. Okay, it's a huge cell with many nuclei formed by the fusion of several cells. Now, the pathogen is engulfed, is processed, as you see there, there is a, the pathogen is engulfed using a, a vesicle that is called a phagosome. That phagosome is gonna fuse with the lysosome of the cells, forming a phagolysosome. The pathogen is broken down there, and then it's gonna be presented using the major histocompatibility complexes. The MHC, it's important to know that it's a safety mechanism. Okay, because we don't want to activate the T cells, either CD4, CD8, uh, very quickly or very easily. Okay, if that, w- if that was the, uh, were the case, we were having autoimmune diseases all the time. Okay, so it's a safety mechanism that prevents the abnormal activation of the immune system. That uh, there is a phenomenon that is called MHC restriction, okay, that is simply this. CD4 cells can only be activated by epitopes presented in the MHC class II molecules. There is no other way of activating the, 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 the CD4 cells. And there is no other way of activating the cytotoxic cells except by presenting the molecules this way. And this is the diagram that represents the phagocytosis process. Okay, here they are not representing the MHC molecule, they simply represent something that is like defecation or something, but this is what occurs actually, okay? The presentation of these antigens in the MHC molecules. Well, uh, this is a very complex uh, diagram, okay? But simply, the only thing you have to get from here is this is the cellular pathway of presenting exogenous antigens. Notice the MHC class two. Okay, notice the, uh, the bacteria the pathogen engulfed in the phagosome Okay, formation of the Uh, phagolysosome. At the same time, you see the the cell producing the MHC2 molecule, okay, and there you have how the MHC2 MHC2 molecule is expressed in the cell membrane now having the antigen that was created in this phagolysosome. Okay, that is the epitope that is presented there to the C D4 cells. There is nothing else you need to know about that. With this here is enough. And this is the same, but for endogenous antigens. Okay, notice that here we have the proteasome. Proteasome breaks down different endogenous proteins. And when we say endogenous, remember this doesn't mean only what we make. Also, if we have a virus inside the cell, that those are the viral proteins. Our cells become a machinery that is making viral proteins. In fact, if you talk to a virologist, okay, what we call a virus is not a virus for them. Okay, the, the little COVID virus or the HIV or the hepatitis virus, they call that a virion. When the virion enters a cell and a cell starts work, working, Okay, for the purpose of the virus, not, not for its own purposes, that is what they call the virus. Okay, for a virologist, the virus is the human cell that is infected by a virus. So when you, are viruses alive, it depends on who you ask the question to? If you ask any of us, no, they are not, because that's what we learned. But if you ask a virologist, oh, yes, of course they are. Hmm? Cells that are infected by a virus, which is what they call a virus, they take energy they metabolize energy they divide they do all the things that living organisms okay again here you don't need to study biochemistry simply know that endogenous antigens are processed in the proteasome and they are expressing HLA class 1 nothing else and here we have again a another process of phagocytosis I want you to notice something Uh, this is a uh, for example this could could be a neutrophil or a macrophage or any phagocytic cell that is engulfing a bacteria if you follow the pathway one you see that everything seems okay you have there a a phagosome that is fusing fusing with the lysosome and that will happen there but if you go to the pathway 2 you see that the fusion of the lysosome with the phagosome occurred before the phagosome was completely formed. That means that the lysosomal enzymes are gonna escape the cell in the surrounding tissues, producing lots of tissue damage. Okay, that is simply telling you that sometimes this phagocytosis process may get wrong And instead of having an organized inflammatory response, we may have an exaggerated inflammatory response with a lot of tissue damage. And this could be one of the reasons. Okay, premature fusion between the lysosome and the phagosome that allows the spread of the lysosomal enzymes into the extracellular uh, compartment. And that's for the next encounter. Okay. Cytokines is another topic. So, I'll see you tomorrow at 10. Okay.